Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. And tonight, we have a very special guest, writer, director, editor, actor, Jacob Chase, uh, whose most famous directorial role to date is uh, Come Play, and he created Larry the Monster, which we are going to be talking about tonight. Jacob, thank you for being on our show. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It is our pleasure. And let's get right to it. Let's just get started. Uh, so looking at your bio, Jacob, it looks like in the 90s, you were an actor, okay? And then around 2004, you flipped to behind the camera. Uh, what happened to make you flip uh, at such a really young age to go from being in front of the camera to dominating behind the camera? <laughs> uh, dominating. Um, I, yeah, I was an actor as a kid. I, I loved theater and, and film a lot. You know, I, I don't have family in the industry or anything. I just sort of saw people on stage and was like, I wanted to do that. And a very supportive mom who would take me to, to, to do that stuff. And um, I loved it. But when, when I started doing like film and TV as a kid, I, I started seeing what directors did, what writers did, DPs. And, and it was sort of this slow realization that like, I don't want to just be saying uh, other people's lines. I wanted to be writing stuff and directing stuff. Um, I love, you know, I loved acting and, and I have so much respect for actors, but I just ultimately uh, felt like I, I wanted to create my own stuff. Um, and, and so sort of when I was acting, I started making just, you know, little short films or whatever, you know, I was a kid uh, doing it on my high camera or stop motion stuff or forcing my friends to come over and be in short films. Um, but uh, but yeah, eventually I sort of like fell out of love with the acting side of it and just kept pursuing um, the the writing directing thing. Uh, and I also, you know, this is a weird part of the story. I don't normally tell people, but because of who you are in this audience, I one of the big things I I fell in love with at the time was creating haunted houses. Uh-huh. And I was in high school creating these like home haunts, and I sort of didn't have time to go on auditions anymore. And my agents at the time you know, got really mad that I wasn't uh, going on auditions. And I was like, I just want to work on my haunted house. And so, you know, my mom, I think was just like, well, if you don't love acting anymore and you just want to make the haunted house, like, that's fine. Just do that. Like, this is all just what you want to do as a hobby. And I was like, yeah, I just want to do this. So I kept making my haunted houses and making short films and I sort of have never stopped since then. Would you say your love of horror was from like your earliest memories of like when you first started watching movies, you loved horror or was it something that just built up over time? Um, it, it built up a little bit because my, as my like fear tolerance built up and, and honestly in the same way that like acting came from the theater world, uh, my love of horror movies also came from like live haunted attractions first. I I remember going to the very earliest iterations of Horror Nights back when it was just like a single haunted house in a parking garage in LA where I grew up. Um, and uh, I was I was pretty young, and my mom took me to because I really wanted to go. We got into the first room of this haunted house, and it was like a clown popping out of a. Uh, a big jack in the box. I started crying. I was terrified. I made my mom leave out the exit after like waiting for, you know, an hour in line. Uh, and I was like terrified, but also fascinated somehow. And and I convinced uh, her to let me come back the next day where they were having like this lights on tour of it. And I just was fascinated by like how it worked and like 
how they would use misdirection to like scare people and and where all the secret hideouts were and it sort of felt like theater which was like what i also loved uh-huh. and and so i i started i don't know I, I started trying to create my own and i've always loved that idea of like giving other people that sensation that i had that very first time i went into a haunted house which was like it's just people in costumes and with lights and sound, but put that all together and you can just really make visceral emotions with people. And that's just a magical thing. Exactly. And those people, you know, who are working at the haunted houses, they are actors, you know? So it's, yeah. you just put a camera in front of it and you sort of got a mini movie right there. Uh, now come play, which is the movie that came out, your movie that came out in 2020. The mm-hmm. concept uh, was a short. Uh, several years prior so how did it go from a short to a feature was it something that you pushed for did somebody approach you walk us through how larry your short turned into come play the movie sure yeah i mean it was a sort of prior to that i think you know something that most people don't know or or, you know understandably because this industry is crazy and and you know most things that people work on never get made but I, I had been a writer pretty successfully for like five or six years before that I mean I've been writing scripts for studios for a while before come play got made um at a few movies that got really close to getting made but nothing did um both movies and tv and and Larry was something I made the short film you know, I kept making short films sort of throughout that process to kind of keep showing people, hey, I can direct also because I was getting hired as a writer a lot, um, writing a lot of sort of big action movies and, and things like that, adaption, adaptations of, of comic books and whatever. Um, and and so Larry was a short I made just to be like, hey, another one, This I can keep doing this, I can do this. And and the that particular one being a horror short, that was the first horror short I had made. I don't know why I hadn't connected in my mind, like my love of haunted houses and my love of, of horror movies with, with filmmaking yet. But, but I did, and I made that short and, you know, luckily people connected with it and, and it was my agents shared it with a lot of people. And it was the first of the shorts I had made um, where everyone sort of collectively at the places I met were like, Hey, what's the feature version of this? Um, and so I very quickly figured out what the feature version would be. Um, I, I'll tell a quick anecdote about that, which is I had the closest I had gotten to something getting made before that was this TV show that I created um, at ABC, and uh, it was an amazing group of people. It was John Chu directing, and it was a musical, like a horror comedy musical kind of thing. Um, and it was like Stephen Schwartz was writing the original music. It was it was a, an incredible experience. It got very close uh, to to getting on the air, um, but did not. And I was like devastated by that. And, and when that was happening, I was sort of simultaneously having these meetings about come play, but I like, didn't know what the movie was yet. And we got a call on a Friday from the network saying like, we're not moving forward with the show. I was heartbroken and, and crying. And my wife uh, uh, said to me like, hey, everyone's interested in what the Larry movie would be. Why don't you figure that out? Yeah. And so, like that Friday, that same day, I wrote the treatment. I mean, I you know a lot of it had been percolating, but I finally like put it onto paper. It was like a five-minute treatment or a five-page treatment, I should say. Um, and then I pitched that to everyone next week, all the people that were interested. And by the following week, we had sold it at Amblin in this competitive situation, which was amazing and and something you kind of read about in the trades, but like I had never been through before. Um, and I, you know, I went with Amblin because, uh, of Spielberg and the kind of movie I wanted to make 
was was more in that vein of horror movies, something that's uh, sort of whimsical, um, something that makes you very scared, but also feel a lot, uh, that has that sort of real human emotion that all my favorite Amblin movies have. Now for me, Amblin, the first imagery that comes to mind is E.T. You know, Spielberg, like you said, and that's, you know, it's such a, a name that has such a history behind it. Now, did you develop the concept of Larry all on your own? Did you have a co-writer or was it just something that came to your mind? Uh, I did not have a co-writer. No, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't work with partners. Uh, sometimes I'm jealous of my friends who do have writing partners cause they have someone to bounce ideas off of more, but, um, no, I'm a solo writer. Uh, so it was just me. Um, but I will say like the, the creature design of Larry. Um, so when I made the shorts, I, it was after I had, um, I used to make this haunted house, as I said, mm -hmm. uh, back in high school, I stopped for a while. Then in my twenties, I made like a much bigger scale haunt attraction with a bunch of my friends for several years. There was a much bigger thing in LA. Um, and I used to make a bunch of monsters and stuff for that. The Larry monster from the short film is a monster I had made from one of those years at the haunted house. Wow. So it was something I had in the garage and I was like, uh, Hey, let me come up with a story around this creature. Cause like when you're making short films, you're trying to spend as little money as possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I took the things I had at my disposal and that was one of them. And, uh, so that, the, the sort of design of Larry, um, you know, has sort of been with me for, for many years now since that haunted house was like 2013 i think um and and then when we made the feature version you know i worked with with the jim henson creature shop to uh sort of bring the design to the next level and and you know everything we wanted to do with the character okay now there is a lot of different aspects that may come play an amazing movie and we're going to touch on a lot of them uh what i also love about the movie is that we don't really know what larry is now i can tell you what my perception was and you can tell me what yours is my i see larry as a demon okay as sort of this demonic creature i would love to hear your thoughts being the creator of larry what is he supposed to be is he this extra dimensional being is he a demon is he an i mean what is he sure well you know, we we touch on that as much as I kind of wanted to in the feature. But I will say that, like, as I was making it, the thing that I liked about Larry was that he was a being who um, didn't ask to be evil and wasn't intending to be evil. He is someone that reminded me of, like, Frankenstein's monster a bit. Someone that is scary looking, intimidates people, kills people. But it's always uh, sort of to the ends of of a more uh, noble or understandable goal, right? Like a, a sort of lonely, misunderstood monster is something that I think I just related to, um, that that in any iteration of this, the short or the feature, sort of Larry is haunting a uh, someone who is lonely as well and sort of he sees kinship in. Um, and, and so I like the idea of a monster who, uh, whatever you want to call him, this entity, he has uh, a very relatable goal at the center of it. He is very simply like a child wants uh, friends um, or like an adult. I, I want friends too. You yeah. know? It's, uh, it's a relatable thing. Now, the way I came across Come Play, uh, never heard of it before. I was just sitting down on my couch and, you know, the content we have available to us through digital streaming today. I come across this movie called Come Play. I read the synopsis. Sounds interesting. I start watching. I get hooked. 
uh, very quickly. And then we start to see Larry's point of view from behind the screen of the gadgets. Um, that's a very creative concept. Uh, how did you come up with that? Is that something that you wanted uh, for us to see Larry's point of view in the beginning when he's trying to get into this world? Yeah, I mean, that was a, that was from the very first iteration of my script uh, for the movie. It was my version of the Jaws water shot. You know, I, I it was important to me to not show Larry too much, first of all, because I think you know, as we all know, like the just the more you see a, a villain in these horror movies, the the quicker they sort of become, I think, comical, which yeah. is always something I was fighting against. Um, and and, you know, so there's that aspect of it where I wanted to, like, feel his presence without seeing his face. Um, and the other part of it was I wanted to physically put the audience in his perspective a bit. Like, I felt like the more you could sort of literally see behind his eyes and feel that yearning and hear his sort of wheezed uh wheezing uncomfortable breathing like the more you could start to sort of feel this um strange both fear and kinship with him at the same time uh and so those those pov shots you know proved super helpful and um you know there's i shot more than than actually ended up in the movie because it was it's always that balance of like how much do you want to like infer the character being there before it wears out it's welcome but um but yeah it was uh, it turned out cool. I, I like those shots a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm glad that it, it worked because it's one of those crazy things that you're like shooting and everyone's like, what is this? You know, it's cause we're like shooting through like a green mat, um, with like glass in front of it to like get those real reflections and stuff. But like, you know, you don't really see it until it goes through the VFX process and we like cut out everything around it. And, yeah. Um, no, so it was like, it came yeah. out very nice. It came out very nice. I got to admit, when I started, when I was watching the movie and then we saw, we see Larry's point of view for the first time, I'm like, ooh. But then as it went along, you, it really grew on you and you're like, wow, this is really, this is an awesome point of view that we're getting. Now, sure. the main character is the little boy Oliver, played by Ozzy Robertson. He has nonverbal autism. Uh, he carried the whole film. That boy was amazing. Uh, what kind of discussions did you have, uh, you know, with Ozzy in how you wanted him to portray the role? Uh, was he very, you know, for his age, great, you know, learner, quick to catch on? How did that work? Yeah, I mean, gosh, I have a lot to say about that. I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. <laughs> brief. Um, uh, Eji, uh, he... Yeah, I mean, amazing young actor, first of all. Like, I felt very lucky to to find him. Um, he actually, so when I first wrote the movie and, and turned in a draft uh, and, and Steven Spielberg read it, one of the first things he shared with me was a video of Eji because he had, he had auditioned Eji for a previous movie that he ended up not making, but he loved his, his performance in this uh, screen test he did. It was a screen test with Oscar Isaac and this really cool role. Um, anyway, I watched it, I was like, oh, this kid's amazing. I, I still saw, you know, a thousand kids probably, um, at least many, many, many hundred. Uh, and and it just kept coming back to Edgy because he was just so in touch with his emotions and imagination and, um, you know, really wise and, and book smart and everything. Like just an incredible young actor. So there's that part of it. Um, uh, in terms of like, you know, crafting that character with him. I mean, 
that was a huge part of the process from the beginning. My, my wife works with kids on the spectrum. Um, so sort of the autistic community has been part of our life for a long time. I've gotten to know a lot of those kids and their parents and families. And a lot of where this story comes from is just my own experience and my wife's experience. Um, and, and really it being important to me to create a narrative and a, and a really, you know, a, uh, a big Hollywood ho horror movie that has a character who's autistic at the center of it um, as and not make it something where it's like about their autism. You know, it's just part of who the character is. It's, mm -hmm. it's not everything. And I, I think that's something that some movies I've seen have struggled a little bit with, in my opinion, where it's, it becomes like that's the character trait. But like it was important to me that Oliver is someone who is uh, very sweet and loving and trusting and kind and has no guile and like really sees the best in people and like, you know, I, I just he has so much more to him than just, you know, also having autism. So anyway, it was important for me to get that right. And I worked very closely with a bunch of advisors, uh, both people on the spectrum and then also, um, you know, speech therapists uh, and the like uh, as I was writing the script. And I continued that process um, very diligently as I was working with Eji too. I had him meet with um, people on the spectrum. He, he uh, shattered a couple autistic kids at, at some lovely schools who were very generous with their time. Um, we worked with coaches and stuff. It was just a, it was a big process. And I, I tried as much as I could to include the autism community in the process every step of the way. Yeah. And one of my sons is on, on the spectrum. Uh, he's very, you know, functional, low end of the spectrum, but he's still on the spectrum. And you portrayed it really nicely. And the point I want to make is uh, how the parents are trying to figure out, you know, how to communicate with their son, uh, but yet not make him feel different. I think you captured that uh, perfectly was... Uh, you just explained the research you did with autism and kids. How about talking with parents? Because you really captured it pretty accurately. Did you spend a lot of time with the parents of autistic uh, children? Yeah, yeah, same thing. I did. Um, you know, on I wanted to make sure that the parents uh, felt real. And, you know, I, I had sort of met a lot of parents sort of through my wife's work. Um, and then also during this sort of process where I was like, talking to kids about, uh, you know, how they feel about things and like the things they're interested in. And I heard a lot about SpongeBob and all that. Um, you know, I, I got to meet a lot of their parents as well. And uh, so very naturally through the process, I, I got to sort of hear experiences from all sides. Mm -hmm. um, and, and as I was writing it, you know, I was trying to capture that, um, you know, how that can be uh, sometimes a struggle for parents. But I think all parents have struggles in different ways raising kids. And it was just capturing the specificity of the struggle, um, you know, with having a, a kid on the spectrum, um, but also making sure the whole time that it's like these are parents who love their kid uh, with all their hearts and, and the struggles come from a very natural place. And ultimately, at the end of the day, they just want to protect him like any yeah. parent wants to protect their kid. Absolutely. Now, the the movie has a cast of a lot of young actors. Uh, part A, I mean, did, is this the first time where you had to work with that many kids on a film or a short? And how did the other uh, young actors do uh, with direction and seeing things through the way you wanted them done? Yeah, I got super lucky on this with amazing cast. I mean, we worked really hard to find the cast. We had a great casting team. Um, but but I'd actually I'd worked with a fair amount of kids in in shorts before. Um, I think because I was an actor as a kid, I was always 
relatively comfortable communicating with kids on set because I remember very vividly like what I liked and didn't like about directors sort of talking to me when I was that age. And I mean, I was Eji's age when I started acting. So, so I've sort of, you know, I got to see it from the other perspective. And I remember even in like film school and stuff, you know, I would tend to gravitate towards stories about kids, probably because I was a kid not that long ago when I was making those and understood those stories. But also, <clears throat> I think there was a little intimidation before when I was younger about working with older actors, you know, yeah. more than working with kids. Um, you know, and then that just comes with practice, right? I mean, over time, working with any actor of any age or stature or experience level, you know, it's just figuring out the way to communicate that, that works for them and every actor is different. And um, I try to, my style, you know, if I have a style at all on set, tends to be like really just letting everyone into the process. You know, I, you know, trying to explain as clearly as possible, like this is what I'm trying to do in the scene. Like let's figure it out together. And um, I, I've, you know, I, I found early in making shorts and stuff that like, when you try to force things to be the way you picture it in your head, it's like nine times out of 10, it'll end up feeling forced. And, yeah. and so, you know, I still obviously have the way I want things to be. I, I storyboard everything diligently. I'm a very big planner, but I also try to like allow myself to be open to, to what the actors feel comfortable with. And if they're not feeling comfortable, it's not going to look comfortable. And that's especially true with kids uh, because kids don't, uh, you know, the, the best version of kid acting is like them just being themselves. Right. Yeah. And and so for all of them, I tried to foster an environment that was fun on set, never felt like work. Um, you know, I did things like I would, you know, I waited to show them all Larry until we were actually shooting a scene with Larry. And it was like so cool to just see it through their eyes. Um, and and yeah, I mean, they were truly wonderful. I We did a lot of screen chemistry tests between the whole group of them. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It was awesome. They're all like growing up and it's crazy to see them all get taller now. And exactly. I yeah, hope I get to work with them again. Exactly. Now we have all seen countless movies with bullies, you know, children that are bullies. I love the fact that you did not make, uh, Oliver's friends, these one dimensional, just bullies. And you gave them a backstory. You gave them a relationship. We find out that Oliver uh, was friends with them at the end. Looking back on that decision, and again, uh, I love movies that break the norm. I love movies that go and think outside the box and not go the easy route. I'll make these, I'll just make them bullies. It's so much easier. Looking back on that decision on making uh, Oliver's friends and giving them their backstory and their relationship with Oliver, how do you th how do you feel it worked for the film story? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still very proud of that part of the story. I mean, some of the stuff I'm most proud about of the film is, you know, are those relationships, right? And like the idea that Byron is a character, you know, who's sort of the main bully, I guess, that, mm -hmm. that you think is one way. And then as the film progresses, you're uncovering layers, you're peeling back that onion. And, and he is just as broken and lonely and sad as like Oliver is, right? And I think that was kind of a theme for me throughout the whole film was all the characters that you think are sort of doing bad or evil or, or could be seen as that way through different perspectives. Like once you see the world through their perspective, you see like, oh, we're all not so different. Um, and I think in a movie that's about communication and connection, um, that was important to me that like we, that those, the, you know, the communication 
was severed from all these people at the beginning. And as the movies brought together, Larry in this strange way sort of brings these connections back together. Yeah, yeah. Now, when you were coming up with this concept and for the screenplay for Come Play, uh, I mean, if you ask me, the underlying theme to Come Play is loneliness, which you touched on already. Uh, was that your intention all along with Oliver, Byron, and Larry? Uh, is people looking to make connection. Doesn't matter if you're a monster or a little kid. Uh, you're lonely. You're looking to make connections. Was that uh, intentionally done by you when you were writing the the script? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's, you know, that's the underlying, I guess, thematic thing that pins it all together, right? Is that all these characters you know, while we start the film really seeing the loneliness of Oliver, you know, as the movie goes on, you see everyone has their own, you know, they're suffering from loneliness and loneliness in their own ways. Yeah. Um, even if they're surrounded by friends, they, there's something they're missing that's making them lonely. Or Larry is in a dark place that can only see windows into our world, like, a, you know, and he's yearning for this connection. I, I think that theme of like connection and loneliness to me was was very much there at the forefront at the forefront uh, of, of writing this the script now when you got to the part when you were writing how uh the parents really believed their son oliver when he was trying to explain to them all the weird stuff that's going on about larry uh you know again we've seen countless movies oh it's just an imaginary friend oh he's just playing but they believe him uh really quickly uh, was that, uh, because if I put myself in that, in that situation, I would like to think that I would believe my kid as well, like they did in the movie. Uh, what was your intention there? Uh, did you just want it to go against the grain from the usual, you know, imaginary friend, them trying to blow it off and try to show a different aspect from the parent side? Um, yeah, I mean, I think you know, these writing these things is like a group, I mean, getting notes and stuff is a group effort. And that was one of the things actually that I should credit like Alex Heinem and Andrew Rona, the producers of the film with, with, they've made a lot of horror movies and, you know, early on in the process, I think before I even wrote the script sort of in the treatment phase, they, they had this comment, but, um, but they were basically like, look, the scenes you always end up wanting to cut out of the movie are the ones where people aren't believing the other people, because it's like, the audience is ahead of you, right? Yeah. And and that's something I, I always believe in when I'm writing scripts is like the audience by and large should not be ahead of the characters because as soon as that happens, you start to lose interest. The characters start to feel naive or stupid. Um, and so you want to sort of like be aligned with them as close as you can. And I thought that was a really good point. And so pretty early on in the process, I, I made the decision that like as soon as I could get the parents on the same side as, as Oliver, I was going to do that especially because ultimately I wanted this to be a movie about that family reconnecting. Um, and, and so getting to that process started sort of earlier in the script, I think helped the ending ultimately feel as powerful as, as I wanted it to. Yeah. Now come play, uh, does not deliver cheap thrill jump scares just to get the people to jump and there, there's no value behind them. There are some very subtle, terrifying scenes crafted throughout the entire movie an example is uh the night of the sleepover when the kids are examining inside the living room uh correct me if i'm wrong but right there in the corner is the shadow there's a shadow person which is larry 
Am I seeing things or am I accurate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we've, okay. we've got lots of subtle shadows uh, in different places to hopefully subtly make you uh, make you feel Larry's presence uh, when you're not seeing him. Now, as a director, uh, it's very easy to deliver the cheap thrill jump scare. I mean, it doesn't take much to subtly craft scares into a way like I just described. How difficult is that as a director? Uh, what kind of balance do you need to find? How do you come up with it? Well, I think a couple of things. One, I don't know how easy it is to create a jump scare. I think it is like, of course, like you have some silence and then like a cat jumps out and yeah. a big boom. I guess that's easy, but like creating ones that actually terrify you because there are several jump scares in the movie that I think are how like that I think taken out of context could be seen as like, ah, that's a cheap jump scare. And, and, you know, when you're making these movies and you're test screening them, you know, the tough thing is, is like people want those, get those big jumps, you know, it's like, you know, you talk to you, you talk to tons of people uh, who love horror films and we all will say the same thing, which is like, ah, too many jump scares. But then like, those are not the people going to test screenings of Hollywood movies, because I'm telling you, when you see a movie that has a lot of jump scares, I would bet you a lot of money that the directors were not intending those to be there. And they were created because in test screenings, you're watching the audience whenever they feel a little bored or, or, you know, on the, on the note cards at the end, it will always say like, not enough jump scares, not enough jump scares. Like people love those. So I will just, that's maybe a, a side tangent. Um, but, but there's a reason they're in all the movies. It's not because like, oh, uh, it's not always because of filmmakers anyway. Um, but yes, I, I do diligently try to craft scares and, and they, I don't think they all hundred percent worked, but the ones that did, I'm very proud of. And, and the sleepover scene is one in particular that I, I think would worked really well. I'm a big storyboarder. I also tend to film things on my phone. Like I'll film the scene first on my phone and, and uh, uh, you know, cut it together and stuff to like make sure it works. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's all about the suspense. I, I think my favorite quote from Hitchcock is, is there's no terror in the bang, only in the anticipation of it. Um, I definitely believe that with all my heart. Uh, and, and so I, I try my hardest to like feel that anticipation as I'm both directing it and then editing it um, and, and try to make you on the edge of your seat as much as you can. I mean, the most fun I've ever had is like sitting in an audience watching this movie together and just like watching people squirm and jump and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's what gives you the thrill. And I totally understand that. Now, Complay has uh, some great cinematography uh, in it as well as sound, which we'll get to in a second. Do you claim all the credit for the pretty cool cinematography or did you have some really good uh, DP cinematographer working alongside you? Oh, I would definitely not claim all the credit. Of course not. Uh, it takes a village to make a movie. Um, uh, Maxime, my DP on that movie, uh, was amazing. I mean, he's shot a ton of huge movies and um, a lot of horror uh, as well. And uh, we, yeah, we just really hit it off, really connected. He's, he's a wonderful, loving father as well with a young kid who's not such a different age from Eji. And so, like, we just connected on the story. And, um, you know, we he came right after shooting Crawl, 
like and we had a very short window of prep together so I, I like storyboarded a ton of the movie already but then like he came in and like he had a ton of awesome ideas to add to it and I mean you know when you're shooting something it's like you your plan is only part of it right like it's important yeah. to have a plan to go in but then it's important to like be able to be nimble and change on the day and I mean he was always great about uh coming up with ideas with me on the day and uh I actually just worked with him again on on the show I just directed and and uh yeah I hope I get to keep working with him in the future because he's super super duper talented Yes. Uh, now, uh, the sound part. How active were you in the post-production phase of Come Play? Uh, you know, going to the sound. Uh, I'm not talking about the score, which is good, but I'm talking about uh, there's just something about the sound in the movie from the footsteps to just the basic opening of doors. That's, I don't know, really adds to the eeriness of it. Uh, so how involved were you in post-production of Come Play? Uh, probably too involved. <laughs> um, I, uh, look, I am, I am someone that will like it. I will only be done when I'm forced out of the room. So I, I am very, uh, meticulous about every little detail as much as I'm allowed to be. And, uh, yeah, the sound was a huge part of that, but I mean, the Formosa, uh, sound group is incredible to begin with. I mean, they, you know, what they would give to me, it was amazing to, to start, um, but, but specifically, I mean, creating the sound of Larry definitely took a lot of work. I, I, you know, had very particular vision for wanting this character who, who for the first two thirds of the movie, you only hear and don't see and, uh, wanted to make sure that sound design of him was something that was of course creepy, but more importantly, something that felt like you could feel his pain. You could feel, uh, uh, that sort of arthritic nature of his movements, that his bones didn't just feel like every other bone crunching we've heard before, but it had this like hollow tree quality to it that, that almost like the hollowness of the bones was reminiscent of the hollowness of like his own loneliness, yeah. which I know sounds like crazy, but like they were actually able to take that direction and make something I, I think that sounded quite wonderful. And, um, and then yeah, everything to the door squeaks and everything. Like, of course, it's like you're going through a library of a hundred door squeaks to find the one that really makes you feel that feeling you want to feel in the moment. So, um, it was a lot of work, uh, definitely, but I mean, I'd credit them entirely. I'm just, all I'm doing is giving notes and like my ideas and they're actually making it, making it work. And they did an incredible job. Uh, actually, you have some background in editing. Did that, I mean, as a director now, how does your, uh, uh, you know, you've done a lot of editing. How does that help you? Um, I'm assuming it helps you a lot when you're directing something. Yeah, it does. I, I think every director should be an editor at some point. I mean, and an actor, frankly, but, but editing especially is, I mean, it's tremendously helpful for knowing what you need to shoot on the day, for knowing what you need to cover and what you don't need to cover. Um, and then also in post, I mean, I, you know, I, I think it, it, it took me a bit to get used to working with an editor and me not doing it myself. I, I've gotten a lot better at that now, but I'm still pretty like thorough and meticulous and I can, I can annoy editors for sure. Um, I try not to, and, and I try to work with people that I, I really trust. Um, I mean, great block in on, on come play was, was amazing and, and definitely like, uh, has my trust fully, but, uh, yeah, I mean, same with the sound. I mean, I'm, I'm very, I'm in there every day and, and working very closely, uh, with them, but it's, it's, uh, uh, yeah, very, um, very important to sort of know how you want it to be edited. And then the editors, the great editors like Greg 
will surprise you and like do stuff you never saw yeah. or will fix your mistakes, you know? Cause of course there's tons of things in the movie that like, I wish I had done differently. And then like most of the time, Greg could like find another way into the scene or find a different way to cut it. Um, or would see dialogue in a scene and be like, you don't need to say this right now. Cause like we already understand it. You know, it's, yeah. um, it was a great relationship and, and, you know, I, I hope to keep working with him too at some point. Awesome. Now, uh, like we said, the short was called Larry, and then the movie was called Come Play. Uh, was that always going to be the title of the movie, Come Play? Is that something you came up with? Or did, once you got a distributor, did they put their input into the title? How, how did that work out? Um, yeah, that was not the plan. It was called Larry through production. Um, and then ultimately when uh, Focus was testing the title i mean you know everything gets tested and um they basically tested a bunch of titles and the way that works by the way just is i, I think it's okay for me to say the way market research works but but they they will without any imagery or context they will just you know show people in a mall or wherever like a bunch of just random titles and be like which one of these would you want to see come play was the one that most people said i would see that movie and so that you know, and, and I, I like the title ultimately. Oh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's cool for the for the film. Um, but it, I found it fascinating behind the scenes, like seeing like, oh, it's you know, they they want someone to be able to just say the name of the movie and not know anything about it and understand basically that it's a movie they'd want to see. So I that, thought that was cool. That is really I did not know that. That is uh, actually really really cool. It's not until the very end of the movie, like you mentioned, where we actually get to see uh, what Larry looks like. Throughout the movie, we hear his voice, like you said, the hollow, the arthritic nature of his voice. Um, now, you uh, you said you had crafted him from one of the haunted houses. Uh, did you copy that down to a T? Did you make a lot of adjustments from that prop version you had for the haunted houses to what we actually saw at the end of Come Play? I mean, it was a totally different like puppet. Um, the one the one I used for the short film and for the haunt was like sort of half puppet, half costume. Where like the top part was a man, and then the bottom part, the legs were like puppet legs. Basically, they would move separately. Yeah. Um, and and for the the movie, it became this Boon Raku style puppet, which is uh, basically like Timon on Broadway, where it's it's like a puppet that that's held sort of in front of, of the puppeteers. Um, so it was a totally different design of, of like, in terms of how it would work. This, the general silhouette of Larry stayed the same, but but because I wanted to keep revealing new parts of Larry, we, we put a lot of detail and care into every sort of little bit of him, the way the spine of his back would be shaped, how his toes would be crunched and, and curled. Um, so it was a mix of, of you know, myself doing concept imagery and then working with Aaron Sims, uh, who's a concept artist. And then also, of course, working very closely with the Jim Henson Creature Shop. And, you know, they first made a big version of him with just like pool noodles and some like little foam pieces, which is very funny to look at the behind the scenes of that. Um, and then eventually, you know, we started making it more and more real and, and sculpting the, the monster. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a really fun process. Now, uh, the movie was released in on Halloween Day, if I'm not mistaken, 2020. Uh, did just the stars align for a Halloween release and everything was ready to go? Was the movie ready months to be released earlier? But you know what? You guys said, let's wait for Halloween Day. Uh, how did you get a Halloween Day release? Uh, well, the movie was ready much earlier because we were supposed to come out and then COVID hit. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. 
so so that put a big wrench in things um it uh and then there was talk about doing it in the summer covid kept getting worse and then finally this sort of halloween date opened up and and some theaters around the country had started opening and and uh you know i got a call from amblin and, and focus and they they wanted to have a discussion about what we all thought about the Halloween day. You know, the interesting thing is that Halloween is generally not a good day to release a movie because people don't go to the theaters because there's trick or treat. Um, we all made the sort of decision that we thought no one's going to be trick or treating this year because of COVID. Maybe they'll go see a movie. Uh, you know, I had a very small part of that, uh, decision obviously, but I agreed with the plan. I thought it was kind of interesting if, you know, if we were stuck with our movie being released during COVID, which of course not ideal. Um, so, so they, they went full steam ahead. They put all this marketing together saying like this Halloween. And I think it really, you know, audiences responded to it when, again, they did their market research. And so we put, put it on Halloween. Um, and you know, for all things considered, I mean, it, it did, they're really happy with the way it did. It, you know, it's, it was when maybe 50% of theaters were open in, in yeah. the U S and it opened on like 2000 screens and wow. not so, many people were, were going to theaters at the time, unfortunately, but we, we did pretty good. I mean, we, you know, we made a decent amount of money. 2000 screens is not a limited release. That's a, that's a wide release. Um, did it come out on video because of COVID? Did it come out on video on demand the same day or was it spaced out a little bit? No, it was part, it was windowed. So it was part of Universal's at the time they were trying out this three week window thing where, where they would put out a movie and then they had a, they had a deal with AMC where they could release the movie on VOD three weeks later. So that's what they did. They released it three weeks later. Um, it was not day and date, uh, and then it kept playing in theaters for for a good, I don't know, couple months after that, and you know, dwindling screens or whatever. But um, but yeah, it was very, it was look, it was uh, a weird thing, right? Because it was so exciting to have a movie in wide release, but also like it came out at a time when like I couldn't go to the theater yeah. around me to see it. You know, I had to drive an hour away to go find a theater that was open. So it was. Um, uh, bittersweet, I would say. Um, but when I went to the theater to see it, and I, I saw it a couple times while it was out, just to like, because that's why we do this, to like see it with people. And that was a blast. I mean, seeing it with full audiences of people screaming and laughing and all that stuff, like it was great. Uh, so, you know, hopefully the next one doesn't come out during a global pandemic. Let's hope. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, working with Steven Spielberg, uh, I mean, you know, you want to talk about a legend, uh, Steven Spielberg. What was it like working with him? Is, I assume with, with his project is the first time you actually met with uh, Spielberg? Definitely was the first time I met uh, Steven Spielberg. Uh, I hope I get to work with him again at some point. It was, uh, yeah, it was incredible. I mean, it was, I, I didn't know what to expect in terms of like how involved he would be because he obviously, you know, there's a lot of projects that he's sort of a producer on, but he, uh, really took a, a shining to this, which I was very fortunate, uh, you know, to, to see happen. And, you know, he gave notes on the script, um, which was really cool. And, and, uh, and then he really became involved sort of in post. I, I would sort of hear like, oh, he's watching the dailies. He's really liking this stuff. But then in post, he like really sort of, he, he came in the mix and would sit in the edit with us and stuff and, um, had a lot of great input. And I got to hear a lot of stories and, uh, you know, I, I had to very quickly, I think, 
try to forget who he was and just like talk to him like any other producer and and because you know i still had to fight for things and like uh yeah. argue points or whatever but i mean he uh he was so generous with his time and uh and and his knowledge um and also respectful when i disagreed with things uh and uh, it was awesome. I mean, it was it was just you, fun to see how his mind worked. You, you know, disagreed with Steven Spielberg. <laughs> no, no, that's awesome. You know what I mean? It's I just, know that's you know, that's you're... awesome. That's awesome. I love that. I love that uh, from his point of view too. That you know, he's not this oh my way or the highway. And you know what? Looking at Steven Spielberg throughout his whole career, from stuff that he's produced to directed, you can tell that the man is. Uh, motion picture fan not a genre specific he's done movies that span the spectrum of uh genres from horror to dramas to science fiction and you know at the end of the day i haven't like i said i haven't met him yet i haven't had the honor to meet him yet or talk to him but would you say that he's just a fan of filmmaking he's just a fan he's a he's a lover of films Oh, of course. Uh, big lover of films and so much energy and excitement about everything. You know, we'd be talking about a shot in the edit and like talking about like what to do with the CGI or something. And he would just like get out of the couch and like start talking about it and like pitching how the monster could look in this one shot and stuff. It was just awesome to like watch him, you know, be still so enthusiastic about every little detail in yeah. filmmaking. Um yeah, really amazing uh, experience. Um, and, you know, honestly, working with everyone at Amblin was was amazing. I mean, they're a very filmmaker first company. And, and you know, that's what you've always heard about them. But they, they I, it was true. I mean, of yeah. all the studios I have written movies for, I mean, they were the most, I think, uh, respectful of the original sort of vision of it. Um, that's so it, it was great. I hope I get to make another movie for them soon. That's awesome. Now, are you satisfied uh, with you know, this being the end of Larry, or do you feel you can take Larry in a lot of new different directions? Like a sequel or something, you mean? Yeah, that's, <laughs> um, my, that's my indirect way of asking that, I guess. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think the reality is it came out during a pandemic and was not seen as much as, as we all wish it was. And so I think it, in all likelihood, I don't think it had the like, giant success you kind of need to to garner a sequel um as sad as that is to say if the opportunity arose 100 percent, i have ideas for for where to take the character next where to take the story next um and, but i would say i i certainly tried to make a movie that was um all inclusive and that stood on its own and that had a an ending um that was satisfying if if we never do see larry again but i do hope we do I do too. Now you uh, you also mentioned earlier that you're a writer going way back. You've written books uh, and of course screenplays. Which one do you prefer the most to do? Screenplays, books, and also explain to us: uh, are they very similar or two completely different beasts? Um, I, I honestly, I actually don't know that I've written a book, so I'm not sure, uh, I have adapted many books into screenplays. 
Um, but uh, I don't know that I have the patience to write a book because because for me, screenplays are always a means to getting a, a movie made or a TV show made. Mm -hmm. And and I love that part of it. You know, I try to make screenplays uh, very fun to read on the page. Right. And, and not, you know, not just blueprints, but ultimately they are blueprints for making something else. And, you know, for me, the writing has always been a means to getting to direct more and uh, I've been fortunate to be able to make my living as a writer in the process. Um, but but what I hope is that I, I get to sort of continue directing more and and working with amazing writers um, who who help me bring ideas to the screen. Now, uh, with Come Play, it just got released last year. Uh, do you see that a lot of, you know, not a lot, but more doors maybe have been, or more interest has opened up uh, for you directing? Now, and to lead up, to follow up with that question, uh, do you feel comfortable directing someone else written work, or would you want to direct stuff that you wrote exclusively? Uh, yeah, well, there's two questions. I mean, one, do I want to direct other people's writing? Absolutely. I just directed four episodes of a TV show that I didn't write, and it was a blast because I got along with the writer super well. She was an incredible artist, um, and and I just loved her words so much, and like, and she took notes really well, and it was just it was a great collaboration. So I I, I think yes, I love that, and I would love to do more of that. Um, you know, and I think being a writer helps know what notes to give and, and what's actually achievable, uh, you know, on the page. Um, and then in terms of like have other doors opened up? I mean, yeah, certainly. I, I think, you know, having just gotten a movie through the studio system, I think there is always, you know, a, a slightly bigger level of trust that you can do it again and, and uh, that you at least won't lose everybody's money and you can make something competent, you know. Um, so, so yeah, I, there doors have opened up. I, I certainly have, and I'm, I'm currently, you know, writing a bunch of things that I will direct, uh, for some big horror people, which I, I am very excited about and hopefully they get made. You never know, but, uh, but things are looking promising. So awesome. fingers crossed. Awesome. Now, uh, you know, come play, you said, you know, Amblin was interested. So I'm assuming you know, you had a pretty decent budget to work with to uh, shoot, come play. Uh, moving on, do you think that might have that might have spoiled you? Maybe the next project you take on, in regards to a full feature film, may have a lower budget. Uh, do you think having your second feature film become play by Amblin Studios, a big company? I'm assuming they gave you a pretty good budget. Do you think that might have? Uh, I don't know spoiled you in a little way for lack of a better term i don't know how spoiled you think i am about that but, i mean the budget was was not particularly large uh for the movie um i i mean it was certainly bigger than my my first feature i made yeah. which was like a two hundred fifty thousand dollar budget uh you know yeah, that's movie what i'm I talking made. about like 250 or less low budget i'm sure amblin yeah, <laughs> yeah gave more than that yeah i mean it was several million dollars but yeah. not you know uh, it certainly wasn't Indiana Jones or something. Um, I don't know. I mean, no, I, I think I don't really care what the budget is of, of things as long as it's sort of the budget to make the thing that you're trying to make. Right. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, 
we had the money that we needed to make that movie and we made it. And I think I would love to continue, continue doing things that are of all sorts of budget levels. I mean, yes, in my dreams, I hope to be making Star Wars movies one day. Um, that's the, the goal for me. But, uh, but in the meantime, I'm very happy to make any budget, anything, just because I love creating and, yeah. and I love working with actors and other filmmakers and DPs and production designers, and editors. Like I just, I love that whole process. So I sort of don't care what the budget is as long as the crew's happy and getting taken care of. I mean, that's kind of the most important thing. Are there any other shorts that you have written or directed that you would be interested into making uh, full feature films like Larry, like Larry turned into complex? Any other shorts um, that you've done? That's a good question. I mean, I have a bunch of shorts that are um, not horror that mm -hmm. I love dearly and that I would be honored to turn into features, but but the opportunities didn't present themselves organically. And I, I'm a believer that like when people love something, that's when things have a chance of getting made. And so I, I try with the things that I work on as a writer or a director to like get involved with projects that feel like they actually have a life to them. Right. You can kind of feel if you're getting onto the train when it's actually going versus like, yeah, we're maybe getting off the train, but we're going to get someone else on here to like try to do some work on it just in case we might make it. <laughs> um, I did a lot of that earlier in my career of, I think, working on projects that I loved, but that ultimately, like, in retrospect, I can see where maybe like fishing expeditions or like the studios didn't know if they were ever going to make it yeah. in the first place. So anyway, point being, I don't know that like I have a short that I'm like anxious to like force into existence um, as a feature if other people aren't wanting it to be one. But uh, but I have plenty of other ideas and things I'm working on that I don't need to, to sort of try to force a, a short to be a feature at the moment. Um, How do you feel... You said you just got done uh, directing some television ep episodes. How do you feel working as a television director? Do you like the, the the pace, the vibe of a TV show? Is it really no different than a movie? Um, it's different in the way that definitely we were shooting a lot more pages in a day. So that was that was tough. Um, but but ultimately, I mean, I, I shot it like I would shoot a movie, and and um, yeah, I loved it. I mean, I think. Uh, uh, it's all kind of the same thing, right? It's just going to be not seen on a big screen maybe, but, but uh, it's working with great actors and everyone else. Like, I don't know. I had a great time. Um, so, so I would love to do, to do more of that. And, and I, I feel lucky to have gotten to do those episodes. It's a really cool, like new monster show. That's um, hopefully people really like. Can you tell us about it? Uh, what's it called? Uh, it's called The Girl in the Woods. Uh, it's going to be on Peacock. Um, the The release date has not been announced yet, so I don't think I can say that. But uh, uh, soon, I will say. Um, and with and yeah, the title, A Girl in the Woods, this is not a horror. It is a horror. Oh, it yeah, is a horror. It's, okay. it's horror. Um, it, it's... it's uh, I have not done the press yet for it, so I don't know the That's best right. way to, right. to, to simply wanna, describe it, but it's like I, about a monster hunter girl who's awesome and like super badass. And I, I just, the writing's so good. The cast is amazing. There's some really fun monsters in the movie, in the TV show, I should say. And 
um, yeah, I got to make four of them and, and, uh, hopefully everyone digs it because awesome. I like to make it. Awesome. Can't wait to see it. Jacob, this hour just flew by. Thank you so much, uh, for being here with us, sharing your, uh, your thoughts on the movie come play, which is a great movie guys. If you have not watched the movie, it's called come play. It's available on all the major, uh, video on demand, uh, outlets to, uh, purchase. Please check it out. Uh, it's fun it's out of the box it's not something you would expect and it will leave you very pleasantly surprised by the end of the movie jacob thank you so much for being here with us do you have any final thoughts you want to share with us um thank you for for having me no i mean i just i, I appreciate you you saying the kind things about the movie and i hope everyone that that watches the film uh feels the heart in it that we tried to infuse into the movie and and you know, uh, let's all keep watching movies on the big screen as much as we can. So we keep that theatrical experience alive. It, it's, it, I agree. You know, it's an experience that we, you know, we grew up with and we don't want to let go. And let's just hope that things get better really soon. I want to thank Jacob. I want to thank all my viewers for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed this past hour as much as we did. Uh, stay safe until tomorrow. Always stay walking. Good night, guys. Thank you.